0: Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, all. Today is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. Welcome to the Muni Lowdown. Today we have two very fascinating stories One covers a collaboration that debt Municipals did with Information. We have Abigail Miller from Information and Caitlin Devitt from debt Municipals talking about P3s, which are public-private partnerships, and how U.S. state agencies are ready to build infrastructure once the economy normalizes again after the coronavirus pandemic. But But many are likely to veer away from the light rails and toll roads as the foundation of their plans. So they'll be discussing that. And second off, we've got Simone Barabout will be discussing the second municipal entity to file for bankruptcy this year, but the true first Chapter 9 bankruptcy, which was done in Fairfoot, Alabama, which is, in, by the way, Jefferson County, which also filed for bankruptcy back in 2011. So she'll be discussing that. So we have a special guest today, and we have one of our interpreter reporters. First off, I'd like to introduce Abigail Miller from Information. Abigail, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Glad to have you. And from the Windy City of Chicago, Kaylin David, Welcome back. Good morning, how are you? Good, thanks. Okay, hope both of you are doing okay during this pandemic. But let's get started with a, a collaboration that, that, that white Municipals and Information did together on public-private partnerships, better known as a P3. So Abigail, why don't you um, talk about the story? You took the lead on it. You guys basically um, investigated and tell us what prompted the investigation about P3s in general and during this current pandemic.
1: So P3s, public-private partnerships, that's what I cover on a day-to-day basis or at least the majority of what I cover. Um, So pretty much a few of us were just chatting trying to decide how we were going to cover COVID-19 and how it's uh, impacting the market. And, um, you know, states have started to be downgraded um, and uh, taxes and bonds have started to be traded in the secondary market. And we wanted to see how that, how the pandemic was going to then impact the infrastructure market, which is um, financed through a mix of, private financing and public financing, hence public-private partnerships. Um, so that's when we brought in Caitlin, my editor knows her um, because she has better knowledge of the market than we do, or I guess a more, or of the municipal bond market that is. Um, and that's how the collaboration started.
0: Now, could you give us like a little background of what you found out, maybe talk about one specific state, for example, like, like a specific um, uh, project?
1: Um, Yeah, so in terms of maybe one specific project, um, so far the only project that we've actually seen be canceled that they've listed any completely canceled that they listed anything to do with COVID-19 was the LA Civic Center project, which was really quite far along in procurement, um, speaking to some of the people involved in the process, they had no idea it was coming, Um, but there was a sense that it could be kind of a a politically unattractive move to spend so much money on a project that wasn't doing anything to help with the pandemic. Um, And they decided to go a different route um, as they saw costs increasing. Um, And, you know, that's that's the only one that so far has been explicitly canceled. We've seen several other timelines impacted in terms of responding to requests for qualifications or things like that. They've uh, extended deadlines. Um, And everything else is kind of right now in a bit of a holding period uh, across the states as as the states and agencies re-examine their budget for the next year. Right now they're getting their budgets together. They are actually seeing and grappling with the numbers in front of them that show the loss in gas tax revenue or the loss in tourism tax revenue. Um and deciding how that they how they want to readjust in terms of total state spending, but then also in terms of their major infrastructure projects.
0: Right. And like you said, uh Deadwide municipals and Caitlin, we cover uh states and municipalities, and especially like you said, tax revenues are down and you're talking about all types of taxes, sales tax, gas taxes, and things like that. So, Caitlin, do you want to discuss about the states and how the, the, the taxes are being impacted with the P3s?
2: Sure. Well, just to pick up on what Abigail was just saying, um, gas and transportation-related transportation tax revenues are really down. Um, some estimates are, you know, 30 to 50%, depending on the state. Some states are, are reporting 50%. And as you said, young sales, everything's being affected except for property taxes. Yet we'll see. Um, but sales taxes, and then of course the federal um, government pushed back the timeline for income taxes until after most um, fiscal years. And uh, you know, generally speaking, a lot of states have different fiscal years, but generally speaking, a lot start on July one. And now the the federal tax return and state tax return dates is July 15th, so that's kind of poses its own type of problem. So when it comes to P3s, it's kind of interesting um, to think about the immediate timeline from talking to people, it sounds like, um, as Abigail was saying, people are sort of rearranging timelines. We saw the Convention Center um, cancellation, which is not surprising considering it's a Convention Center, and what we know from our reporting there in, the, um, in the crosshair is really what's going on in terms of getting hit for revenues. Convention centers are suffering everywhere. Um, But also projects that that are still on, they're having timelines be rearranged because of that massive revenue uncertainty. And I think that a lot of states and municipalities are just dealing with liquidity. It's like everybody else right now, we're just trying to figure out how much cash all these credits and issuers have on hand. They're trying to figure that out. And so it sounds like that's gonna be the immediate concern and that's going to mean delays for some of the um, the projects that were on track for the near term. But then it's also interesting. People seem to think, and Abigail might want to talk more about this, that next year, or at some point, you know, relatively soon, we're going to start to see maybe even more interest in it. You know, a lot of states and municipalities might be cash strapped and want to possibly, you know, privatize assets that they hadn't thought about before. Um, they might want to enter into, you know, deals with, to get th- some of that private money up front so they don't have to put down the public money because it's going to be a problem to do that. So um, some people I talk to kind of are predicting a little bit of even an uptick or resurgence after after we kind of
1: make it through this
2: crisis period.
1: Yeah, I, um, I can add to that in that Right now, it does seem like things are, are going to slow down in the next, you know, maybe six, 12 months. But after that, it will become very attractive to bring in private financing by a public-private partnership. Um, there's no, like, one-size-fits-all way that anyone is proposing how they're going to do this, how they're going to, um, you know, ensure that these private companies aren't uh, – or I guess that the projects don't carry too much risk. Um, there is discussion that projects that are – so basically for public-private partnerships, there are two ways that the the project can be backed. It's either by availability payments, um, which are structured payments once every uh, – maybe month, month, once quarterly, once yearly, uh, you know, whenever. Or uh, revenue risk, which that's more – you'd see it maybe like a toll road or um, a, a major transit project that The idea is that so many people are going to be driving on this toll road or so many people are going to be taking this light rail that it makes sense to put more risk and not receive a necessary payment from the state. Um, It's thought that those availability payments will become more attractive, especially for things – I mean, I I guess toll roads maybe eventually uh, as people get back on the roads could be more attractive, but we don't know how – this is going to impact major transit. You know, I can't see myself wanting to get on the subway anytime soon, uh, you know, for example. So, yeah, I think it's going to become very attractive to bring in private financing, like Caitlin said, because they don't want to put down the public money up front. But it's just a matter of, you know, how they restructure their plans. Some states have these major, major plans for transportation, social, water, energy, P3's, um, you know, this huge slate of projects, and now I think we're going to see kind of a shift in priorities as to some projects being pushed forward quickly and others being maybe put on the back burner.
0: Right, uh, because you were sa- you mentioning how in your story that there's a potential surge going away from the tolls and the latter because of they rely more mm-hmm. on the revenue, which is unstable because no one's getting on the rails and so forth, but obviously, as we know also municipalities property taxes, like the more stable tax in most cases, cause people have to eventually, they, you know, we're all home. You know, we still have a home and property taxes to pay. So I thought that was interesting in your story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's um, pretty much anyone that I spoke to agreed on that one that you're gonna see projects that could be water, sewer, any kind of social infrastructure project, basically anything backed by property based tax offerings. Um, Really continue to be strong, if not be um, readjusted and pushed forward as the main priority for the in you know the coming maybe just the coming year, maybe longer um, it, it, who knows if we'll see this in completely impact the infrastructure market and the way that we go about projects for the next ten years it's impossible to say, but um, but definitely interesting to think about
2: and you see that too. Um- you know, in general, I think in the in the market right now, where investors and people are starting to really differentiate between revenue streams and risk, um, where you see maybe water, sewer, property is being treated, you know, um, as a stronger credit than a lot of revenue based. Um, you know, you see that for sure in the high yield, but just in general, sort of revenue based, you're starting to see that credit differentiation a lot in the in the municipal market. So that's something that will probably continue to happen where people are going to start to really scrutinize a little bit more how vulnerable and how risky certain revenue streams are. And just to go back to a second, what Abigail was saying about availability payments, that'll be interesting, too, because I think credit, state credit, we're going to see, you know, COVID-19 is sort of shaping, is having different um, impacts on different states And state credit is being impacted differently. And so state credit will become more important with these availability payments. And with a lot of the projects, like who's going to get to move forward and different people I talked to talked about like Ohio and Texas, you know, sort of the experience they're having, which is seen as a little bit less, um, a little bit less terrible than what we're seeing in New York and New Jersey. And that could kind of trickle down and start impacting the P3 market where um, you might see a little bit more of a recovery in some states and, and the ability to move forward and not have that big downgrade or if they're coming to market, big borrowing costs, whereas other states um, are, you know, that at, and there's a lot of projects, obviously, and there's a lot of public financing that happens in New York and New Jersey, um, and they might see a little bit stronger of a hit from the rating agencies and, and in the market.
0: Definitely. So just to wrap things up, um, any last thoughts from either one of you? I know both of you talked about if you had a crystal ball and obviously we're not sure depending on the current situation, but any last thoughts of what else you could think of in terms of the future for both, whether it's uh, the private side or the public side?
1: Um, Yeah, so to jump in, I think that it's gonna be very interesting to see at the federal level, the way that um, infrastructure is. Prioritized in terms of with like uh, econo- and any sort of economic stimulus package, assuming that there is a second or a, a next economic stimulus package. Um, I, people I spoke to at state agencies really talked about the, their need for it um, and how much they feel it's really, really crucial. Um, excuse me. Um, but then, you know, the US Treasury, even beyond that, is looking. Right now, I had a backstop uh, cities and states with ongoing debt obligations. So that could also be used for availability payments or other payment obligations. Um, And then, you know, just in terms of the market, I think if private private sector debt can be issued right now, it's really favorable, especially if that's taxable debt. Um, So, I I mean, I think... Like I said, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the federal government responds and how how they prioritize infrastructure, if they prioritize infrastructure at all, and, you know, getting money to the states to create jobs and to, you know, uh, ensure that this doesn't have a more devastating economic impact. Um, It is infrastructure is one of the easiest job creators in the country. Um, So I think that could could be – desire
2: for that reason yeah i agree i mean i think that the the feds federal government's moves are going to be so important and you know we as we've heard from a lot of different states especially the democratic ones because it's become a little bit of a political issue but the feds really are the only ones who they feel like can help right now in terms of direct aid for big um for big revenue losses facing states and locals so that'll be really important and if They do. I mean, everybody's talked about infrastructure for years, a big infrastructure package. And now, like Abigail was saying, you know, with the job losses and the high unemployment, it seems like a no-brainer, but everybody's been saying that for a long time and nothing's really happened. So it'll be interesting to see if something happens with that. And then um, apart from that, if there's just some sort of direct aid, how that ends up trickling down to infrastructure projects. Um, So that'll be interesting. But also I could see, I mean, we've talked about states. You know, but when we're talking about that time period, you know, over the next starting, you know, maybe a year or next year when we start to see possibly a a sort of surge in privatization will be interesting with like universities and student housing. I mean, I can definitely see a lot of municipal credits um, starting to turn to privatization of assets and starting to look at their assets more um, (laughs) to see ways they can wring revenue out of their assets a little bit more than they do now.
0: Yes, we shall see. But uh, I think we're out of time. Abigail Miller from Information. Kaylin Devitt, thank you so much for your time. I uh, hope both of you stay safe. And hopefully we'll talk to you again.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, take care. Bye. All right, let's turn to Simone Barrabo in, I believe it's rainy Miami. Simone, how are you?
3: Doing well. How are you?
0: Good. I believe this is the first time you've been on the podcast since the pandemic started.
3: Yes, and you know that because I haven't downloaded the proper
0: software. <laughs> oh, we can't we can't give away our secrets to uh, the audience, so let's not do that right now. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm glad you're doing well. Everything holding up on your end um, in terms of the pandemic? Your family safe? Everyone's staying okay?
3: We're all good. We're all just hunkered down. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you're safe, and um, but it's glad to hear your voice back on the mini lowdown. So let's get started. Yes. All right. So let's talk about you wrote about the city of Fairfield in the state of Alabama, which fought for bankruptcy last week. And turns out Fairfield is in the county of Jefferson County, which those in the mini market know is a dark cloud back in two thousand eleven. Yes. Uh, so tell us yes. so tell us what happened last week in Fairfield.
3: Yes. So Fairfield is really tiny. Jefferson County is a large county in Alabama obviously and everyone knows it it has um, Birmingham in it. Fairfield is this tiny city there with a population of about 11,000 and it has some bond debt but as you can imagine with a city that size, not not much it's sold about 12.5 million in general obligation warrants in 2012. And basically now it's saying it hasn't been paying its bills because it doesn't have the money because of a decline in revenues in recent years due to economic forces beyond its control. That last part is a direct quote, obviously. So it's been embroiled in litigation with with the Birmingham Jefferson County Transit Authority over its right to receive property tax revenue. So that's a separate case that's not helping its ability to pay its bills.
0: So Let's talk about these uh, bankruptcy filings are now, I believe this is the second entity this year and they're not, so far there haven't been too many of these uh, filings, correct?
3: Yes, so these types of filings aren't common at all and when we talk about chapter 9 filings, which is what this is, meaning a municipal bankruptcy, there are very few every year, less than 10 and usually well less than 10, usually Mm -hmm. less than 5 isn't uncommon. But what makes this particular one even rarer is that it's a true municipality, meaning that it's a city or a county rather than a hospital district or a utility district or a development district or some other type of district. And these come around once in a blue moon. Since Detroit famously filed in 2013, there have only been two others. There's been Hillview, Kentucky, which dropped its bankruptcy case when it came to an agreement with the single creditor that was causing it trouble that was truck america training and the second one was perla arkansas which it would be very easy to miss it's a city of 245 people which makes fairfield seem huge right and that one seems to be on its way out of bankruptcy as well with uh shortly before the coronavirus shutdown hit the court agreed that it could sell the perla water association which is basically the only thing there there's also, obviously, Puerto Rico, and that's an enormous bankruptcy, but that's technically a Title III rather than a Chapter 9, so that's a little bit of a different thing. And obviously now the economy is likely to get worse in just throughout the nation, and that could spur more bankruptcies of all sorts. But there's reason to believe that some of these entities will need to put off filing.
0: Well, then why— why would these bankruptcy filings be delayed?
3: So the way the Small Business Administration is interpreting the Federal CARES Act, that's the coronavirus relief bill that was passed a couple months ago, is that businesses that file for bankruptcy protection before they receive money from the Paycheck Protection Program can't get the money. And obviously this affects businesses more than municipalities. It's only going to affect smaller ones and probably not true municipalities like this one, but it does affect small districts, too, and those are the kind that would be likely to file first because of coronavirus lockdowns. And you're actually already seeing this. You mentioned a minute ago that this is actually the second Chapter 9 of the year. Mm -hmm. The first one is the Jack County Hospital District, and this is a tiny district out in Texas which filed earlier this year, and it has sued the Small Business Administration for blocking them from getting the money. But now they're just asking to drop the bankruptcy case, get the money, and refile after they've received the money. And they're pretty blunt that they're going to refile after they receive the money if they're allowed to drop it. So that hasn't been the, the that's been the only Chapter 9 where this has come up uh, that, that that's been filed recently. But um, the Hidalgo County Emergency Service Foundation and the Roman Catholic Church of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, have both argued successfully that bankrupt entities should have access to the program. And Thomas Health, which is a nonprofit hospital, a relatively large one in West Virginia, has said they want to speed their way out of bankruptcy in order to access some of the federal funds that they don't currently qualify for because they're in bankruptcy.
0: I see. So Simone, I got one last question for you. The question is, um, does it make sense to exclude, say, bankrupt entities from these programs, the ones you mentioned earlier? After all, they are technically loans, even if they're forgivable ones.
3: Right, and that appears to be the federal government's argument. But the argument against it is that these are loans that are by definition being given to entities facing financial distress. That's the whole point of the CARES Act. And bankruptcy judge, David Jones really summed it up when he ruled in favor of the Hidalgo County Emergency Services Foundation. He said, and I'm quoting, this can't be what Congress intended. This can't be the way we're supposed to treat our fellow man in this time. It's inconceivable to me that this distinction could be drawn, that the people that need the most help and who have sought protection under our laws are the people who are targets of discrimination in a government support program can't possibly be. And this judge also said that having judicial oversight over how money is spent when an entity is financially distressed isn't something you'd want to discourage. So we'll see how that plays out, but at least for while it's playing out, there's a big incentive not to file for bankruptcy if you're trying to access those federal funds.
0: Yes, and like you said, we shall see. It should be a very interesting time with the pandemic uh, affecting pretty much every municipality out there, but we shall see. But Simone yeah. Baraba, thank, thank you for your time. I'm glad you're safe down there. And hopefully we'll talk to you again.
3: Okay, thanks so much. All right, take care. Bye.
0: And that is our show for today. Thanks to our special guest, Abigail Miller from Information and Kaylin Devitt, who collaborated on a story on P3s. Thank you to Simone Baraba who covers the courts and who's from Miami, Florida, and she's covering uh, the the chapter nine bankruptcy of Fairfield, Alabama. Thanks to our producer, Christian Ayala, to make sure that we sound good week after week. And again, most of all, thanks to you, our listeners out there uh, tuning in to DebtWire Municipals for the latest on distressed mini credits. Stay safe out there, and hopefully you'll tune in again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.